We are continuing today our study of the Holy Spirit. For the past few weeks, we've been looking at what Scripture says about the Holy Spirit, who He is, and what He does, and how He operates in our day-to-day lives. And today we're going to be talking about how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament versus how He tends to work during the New Testament era that we live in. And I'll just give you just a couple words of introduction here before we look at a variety of scriptures together this morning. Now, in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament, when you're looking at both, you can see that the Holy Spirit is understood as the third person of the Trinity, along with God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ. You see His work, you see His ministry in both Testaments. But as you read through the scriptures, you start to notice that there are a few differences in how the Holy Spirit is portrayed and how His work is actually emphasized when you're reading through the Old Testament Scriptures and when you're reading through the New Testament Scriptures. Now, generally speaking, I have to say that I'm grateful that we live during the New Testament era, and I'm going to explain why I feel that way personally. Maybe you feel the same way, but there are genuine benefits and genuine privileges that you and I get to experience as believers in Jesus living during this period of time. So let me have a word of prayer for us, and then we're going to talk about some of those differences and some of those experiences and some of the ways that the Holy Spirit is operating in our day-to-day lives right now that are truly a genuine blessing and benefit. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that as we look at your word together this morning that you would help us to understand the things that we're reading, that we would grow in our walk with you as a result. Father, we pray that as we look at a variety of scriptures from both the Old and the New Testaments, that you'd help us to understand the way that progressively you have been working throughout human history to draw us close to you, to point us to your Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we find reconciliation and redemption. Lord, we're just so grateful for the fact that You give us this time that we're able to carve out to take a look at what your word actually says. You also tell us in your word that that as your word gets shared with us, it it doesn't return void. It doesn't end up wasted. It has its intended effect. So, Father, we pray that as we look at your word together today, that your spirit would make your word clear to us, that you'd help us to understand what we're reading and what we're talking about, and that we'd grow in our relationship with you as a result. And again, we thank you for all of these blessings and the privilege to be able to look at something that falls under a category of theology and certainly has theological benefit. But Lord, one of the things that I'm convinced of as we look at these scriptures is that you want us to experience direct relational benefit as we understand who you are and how you operate in our day-to-day lives. So we commit this time to you now, Lord. We thank you for your presence with us, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to be talking about a variety of things that the Holy Spirit does and some of the ways that He showed Himself to be active during the Old Testament era and some of the things that He's doing during this era that we have the privilege to live in. Now, when you look at what Scripture says, so I'm going to summarize some of these things, then I'm going to show us some Scriptures that that, uh, confirm some of the things that I'm sharing here. But when you look at the Old Testament, when you read through it, 39 books of the Old Testament, very uh, interesting, highly valuable, setting up the stage to help us to understand uh, the nature of the distance that we have from God and also the fact that we need to experience reconciliation through faith in Jesus Christ. 
In the Old Testament, you could see the Holy Spirit doing His work. And the work that He's doing, as it's described to us in that portion of God's Word, it seems that He's primarily operating from the outside. So from the outside, He's impacting people. And He would temporarily come upon certain individuals, and He would help them accomplish certain tasks. And He would come upon them for specific purposes. And when you read through the Old Testament, you could see different uh, experiences that people had where the Holy Spirit empowered people to do specific things. So he empowered prophets, and you could see that throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. You could see him empowering judges. You could see him empowering other leaders. And he enabled them to carry out their God-given roles. The roles that God had given them to do, the Spirit of God, was helping them to complete these roles and carry these things out. And a few examples that that come to mind right away. First of all, you could see the Holy Spirit coming upon Samson, who served as a judge in Israel. And so you have the Spirit of God coming upon Samson during that time of leadership. You could also see the Spirit of God coming upon Saul when Saul was raised up as king over Israel. But when you look at the, the concept of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, His indwelling presence isn't commonly emphasized in the Old Testament like His indwelling presence is emphasized in the New Testament. Now, let me show you a few portions of Scripture here. Let me jump back to the Scripture I had there in front of me. In Judges 14, when you look at verses 5 and 6, it says this. So it's speaking of Samson, and it shows us how the Holy Spirit came upon him and enabled him to really, in the context that he was serving in, have supernatural strength. And it says, Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah. They came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came toward him, roaring. Now, let me pause there before I continue reading. Uh, Rick and I were talking before the service of the fact that there are some local bears that have been creating a nuisance lately. Maybe you've seen some of the reports. I don't know if they've shown up in your yards yet, but they're coming. And uh, if, if they came at you, what would your response be? Would you say, oh, it's on. I have been waiting for this day. Maybe some of us would say that. Maybe some of us are wiser than that. Well, imagine being Samson as a, a lion comes at him, and the lion's not just being docile, and it's not just being passive. We're told here in the Scripture that a young lion came toward... And that's a a young lion. That means it has no sense, all right? And it's coming toward him, roaring. And then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, the Scripture continues with saying. It says, then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Now, that doesn't translate very well to me in this particular era. I, don't, I have never torn a young goat. I've never torn a young lion. Maybe you haven't either. But in the context here, it's saying, listen, as if it, as if it was something that didn't really have the power to kill you, Samson was, was tearing it apart as if it wasn't even a threat. He tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. And then it says, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Now, again, I have a lot of questions about that portion of Scripture. I would think that if I tore a lion apart, there would be some visible evidence of that. Maybe he was always a mess. Maybe he was always covered in animal parts. I have no idea. But in this particular context, the emphasis that we're being given here, though, is the fact that this wasn't natural strength that Samson was utilizing as he was engaged in this hand-to-hand combat with a lion. That's not a natural thing that somebody would be able to do We're told here the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, 
And he tore that thing apart before it had the opportunity to tear him apart. And then when you look at 1 Samuel chapter 10, when you look at verses 9 through 11, it tells us a little bit about what the Spirit of God did to Saul. Now, Saul was the first king of Israel, and it says, when he returned back to leave, or excuse me, when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. Now, even before I read any further, isn't that just a beautiful statement? God gave him another heart. Has the Lord done that for you? Is that something that you've experienced where the Lord's given you a brand new heart? Well, here it says, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously, so they're about to see a big change in Saul, but it says, and when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, what has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? They're puzzled because they're seeing the Spirit of God accomplishing something that isn't natural. This isn't natural. This is supernatural activity, and this is something that Saul was experiencing in that moment. And and prior to him, we see Samson experiencing a variety of things as the Spirit of God rushed upon these men. And I have to tell you, when I look at portions of Scripture like this, I actually find them comforting. And I hope you find a piece of comfort in these Scriptures as well, because one of the things that I notice when I go throughout the Scriptures, whether I'm in the Old Testament or the New Testament, is that when God calls somebody into service, so you can even take this in a personal way, I believe, when God calls someone into service, or if God calls you into some form of service, He empowers us, He empowers people to do what He calls them to do. He doesn't call us to do something and then leave us incapable of doing it. He also doesn't expect us to rely on our natural talents and strengths. And when you look at these scriptures, you see the Lord called Samson to serve as a judge in Israel, and the Holy Spirit gave him supernatural strength for his task. And throughout the course of his, of his life, you could see that strength demonstrated. You also see the Lord called Saul to, to serve as king of Israel, and in his case, the Holy Spirit empowered him and spoke through him. Now, you could see also examples in the lives of these individuals where they tried to go their own way as well. But you see the Spirit of God empowering them to do what they had been called to do. And again, please keep that pattern in mind when you're serving in accordance with God's calling on your life. The Lord calls you in a particular way. Keep this sort of thing in mind. When He opens up the door for you to serve in a particular way, whatever way that may be, and you obediently respond to His guidance and His leading, don't be too shocked when He gives you the wisdom and when He gives you the strength for your new assignment through His Spirit. He doesn't call you into something and then leave you hanging. He doesn't call you into something and then say, now rely on your own natural talents and strengths. He supernaturally equips us to do what He calls us to do. Now, let's draw a little contrast or a little change or a little development, however you want to say this, but in contrast to the temporary way that the Holy Spirit would come upon leaders and others who had been called to serve in specific ways during the Old Testament era, when you get into the New Testament, you see various highlights that demonstrate a shift in the way that the Holy Spirit is working in the lives of people. Jesus promised that the the Holy Spirit would permanently indwell believers. 
And after his resurrection, after his ascension, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within his followers, and he, he fulfilled this promise. You see this in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And this indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, I want us to think about this, what, you know, what a treasure this is. This is a distinctive aspect of living during this era of history. This is a major reason why I say I'm so grateful that we have the privilege to live during this era of history, because the Holy Spirit, He's not just operating from uh, around us. He's not just operating outside of us. He lives within us. He provides comfort. He provides guidance. He provides empowerment to believers on an ongoing basis. He's not just working around us. He's working within us. And in Acts chapter 2, it shows us the fulfillment of this promise as Jesus had, had spoken of it. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance." So you see this fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. You see that exactly what Jesus had said was now going to be a facet of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, to be part of the church. The Holy Spirit's not just, He's not just operating around you. He's living within you, and He's empowering you. Now, there's something else that Scripture reveals to us that you could say is a, a contrast or a comparison between the Old Testament and the New Testament and how the Spirit of God operated. In the Old Testament, like we mentioned, the Holy Spirit, He would empower individuals for specific tasks. So you could categorize some of those tasks like prophesying or leading or performing mighty acts. You could see that categorized throughout the Old Testament. And again, the Spirit's ministry was often temporary, and it was very task-focused. And the emphasis was more on what the Spirit enabled people to do, more so than on personal transformation, or more so than on something that we would say was relational in nature. But in the New Testament, as we could see his work developing and the way that he interacts with people uh, experiencing a transition here, you have the Holy Spirit continuing to empower individuals for specific purposes, but there's an added emphasis. And the added emphasis is on personal transformation and personal empowerment of all believers to live a godly life. Do you ever think about that when you're reading through Scripture? I mean, there's a variety of things in Scripture that are encouraging you and me to live our lives in a particular way, to act in a particular way, to follow Christ in a particular way. And again, the Lord isn't looking at, at you and me and saying, you have to do that in your own strength, you have to do that in your own ability. What the Lord's doing is He's empowering us to actually live a godly life. And so you have the Holy Spirit, He has a ministry of convicting people of sin, so He points out things to us that sometimes we wouldn't understand fully. Have you ever had a moment where you could tell the Spirit of God is convicting you in your conscience, and because of that conviction, you choose to respond in a particular way? Have you ever had moments like that? Isn't that a blessing, that the Holy Spirit would make your conscience and my conscience sensitive to the things that matter to Him? And what He does is He, he guides us into truth, and He produces fruit in your life and in my life. And He empowers us to serve and to witness effectively. Now, look at what we're told by Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
as he's preparing believers to understand what life is going to be like during this New Testament era, as the Holy Spirit empowers us, he says, here's what's going to happen. Now, take this, again, in a personal way, because it applies to you and to me. But Jesus said in Acts 1.8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, obviously, this was being shared with the initial group of disciples, but it's a truth that applies to you and to me as well, that the Lord uses us as His witnesses throughout this world. And I have to ask, and you don't have to answer this out loud, but I do want you to be thinking about this for just a second. Do you think of yourself as empowered to witness for Christ in this world? Do you think of yourself as empowered to tell people about Jesus in this world? Or does that seem like one of the scariest things that your pastor or anyone else might encourage you to do? People need to hear about Jesus, right? And what's the way that the Lord has, the primary way that the Lord has ordained for others to hear the gospel is through the lips of those who presently believe. So the primary way the gospel is to spread is through the people who already believe in Christ telling other people about Jesus. But you don't have to admit this out loud, I already know, because I've gone through the same experience myself. At least for a season, that tends to feel for most of us like a very scary thing or a very awkward thing, or you're wondering what kind of response you're going to get as you share the gospel with other people. Well, I'll I'll spoil the story and let you know some people will will respond favorably, and some people will respond with insults and criticism. And, uh, and harsh words, but you're not responsible for how someone responds. What we are responsible to do is what Jesus said we would be empowered to do. And we're empowered to be witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever in this world he gives us the opportunity to speak on his behalf or to speak about him. Not long ago, this actually happened earlier this week, um, my son said to me, he said, hey, Dad, uh, I have a very long car ride coming up with someone I'm friends with. And then he said, he doesn't know Jesus, and I feel compelled to share the gospel with him. And then he asked, would you pray for me that God would give me the right words to say? Now, I will tell you, as a father, having that conversation with one of your children, it's pretty, I started off my day pretty encouraged that morning, knowing that my son had woken up with the intention to share the gospel with someone that was a good friend of his. And so I spent some time that morning, just the other day, praying for him. And then I couldn't wait for the end of the day to be able to ask him, how did it go? And he said, we had a wonderful conversation. We had deep conversation about the gospel and about the transformative power of the Holy Spirit as he as he operates in the life of those who trust in Jesus Christ. And he could tell that the Holy Spirit had empowered him to be a witness for Jesus that day, and he was highly encouraged. Well, a few days earlier, I had an an experience. It was somewhat similar, but again, a little bit different. Both my wife and my daughter said to me, is there any chance you'd be willing to talk to a friend of my daughter's who has some spiritual questions? And I said, yeah, of course I'd, I'd be happy to. And, and they said, well, I think he'd probably prefer if you bring it up more so than if he brings it up. And I said, yeah, that's not a problem. I'll be happy to chat. And so I had the opportunity to sit down with this young man and 
just work through the scriptures. I grabbed my Bible and we spent about 30 to 40 minutes looking at six primary scriptures that demonstrate how God wants to reconcile this world to himself through Jesus Christ. And I thought, wow, I mean, I pray for witnessing opportunities. I pray for opportunities to share the gospel with others. But isn't it wonderful when the Lord just hands those things over to you like that? And here's the thing. I don't think we should be unprepared for those conversations. I think it's useful to have some things in mind that you might want to say. But I also don't think we need to over-prepare. And what I mean by that is this. The Scripture is very clear. Jesus made it very clear that you will be empowered to say the things that the Lord desires that you say. And here's another thing. I think there's a lot of people that think, I've even had people do this where they're like, hey, you know, if I could just get my friend to talk to the pastor or talk to one of the elders or, or talk to this person or that person, maybe then they'd respond to the message of the gospel. And here's the thing. Who does your friend or who does your family member know? The person that you want to send them to or do they know you? They know you. You're the one that has the established relationship with them. You're the one that they can see your lifestyle and see that you're, you're actually genuine and you actually mean what you're, what you're saying and what you're proclaiming. I think it's you that's going to have the opportunity, the best opportunity, to be a witness for Christ in your part of this world. And I look at these things that happened in my own life this week, and I look at the opportunities that the Lord gives to us to witness in, um, in so many ways, and I think of these examples, and I could testify to the fact just in a personal way, that this week we, we as a family, my family had the opportunity to experience the Holy Spirit empowering us to tell other people about Jesus so that they too could experience new life and forgiveness of their sin through faith in Him. That's a wonderful experience. And I'd encourage you, when the Lord gives you that opportunity, take it. Don't be hesitant. Don't be so worried about how you look. Worry about... The value you provide. By the way, if you're ever public speaking, it's the same thing. Don't worry about how you look doing it. Focus yourself on the value you provide to those that you're speaking to. You'll be much less nervous. You'll be able at the end of the time to be able to look at yourself and say, oh yeah, I do plenty of goofy things and I did plenty of goofy things up there today, but did I present value to somebody else? Yes. So I don't need to be nervous. Well, in this context too, when you're sharing the gospel with those that you love and care about, don't worry so much about how you look. Be more concerned with, with just sharing about how wonderful Christ is and the ways in which He's transformed your life. And again, Jesus said, we will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to testify about Him. He'll actually give you the opportunities, and He'll actually give you the words to say. Now, there's something else that Scripture reveals to us about the work of the Holy Spirit. We could see some contrast or comparison between His work in the Old Testament era and in the New Testament era related to revelation and related to fulfillment of that revelation. So when you're reading through the Old Testament Scriptures, you could see that the Holy Spirit played a significant role in revealing God's will and communicating His messages through the prophets. You'd see that over and over again throughout the course of the Old Testament Scriptures. The Holy Spirit would enable the prophets to speak God's Word, and He would carry them along and enable them to write down the Scriptures accurately and clearly and effectively. And the Holy Spirit's work was instrumental in providing guidance and direction and insight into God's plan and God's purpose, ultimately with redemption in mind. By the way, if you want to understand the Old Testament, 
Keep asking yourself, how is this trying to point me to Jesus Christ? And if you understand that, if the Holy Spirit gives you understanding of that, you'll understand what he was, what he was uh, carrying the prophets of the Old Testament along to communicate to the generations that would come after them. But he was trying to help people gain insight into God's plan, and to gain insight into God's purposes. And here's the thing. With that in mind, would you say you feel personally like you have a clear understanding of the will of God for your life? Do you feel like you have a clear understanding of God's will for your life? If you listen to Him, I believe the Holy Spirit will reveal that truth to you, but I'm also convinced that most of us start in the wrong place. Now, what do I mean by that? I think usually when we want to know the will of God, we usually want direct answers from Him regarding what job path we should take, or who we should marry, or where we should live. Or what's the best path we could take to fund our retirement years? These are the type of questions that we tend to ask God very specific things about. And by the way, I don't blame, God, I don't blame us for asking God for direction in any of those areas because all of those are important, right? I mean, it's important to, to you know, think about where you should serve in your career, who you should marry, where you should live, how you should prepare for your retirement years, things of that nature. I think those are all very, very important, but I don't think that's where to start when you're trying to understand God's will. There's a very obvious place to begin that I think will offer clarity on all those issues if it's started with. And what I mean by that is this. When you're trying to discern the will of God, start by asking questions like this. Let me give you four examples of the kind of questions you could ask. First of all, how much time should I dedicate every day to prayer and reading Scripture? Ask a question like that. How many times should I, or how much time should I spend today praying before the Lord and reading His Word? Just think about that for just a moment. Second question I'd encourage you to ask is this. How can I practice self-control when I'm tempted to sin? How can I practice self-control when I'm tempted to sin? Third type of question I'd encourage you to ask is this. How can I encourage my spouse and my children and the people in my day-to-day life with my words today? How can I use my words to encourage them and point them to Jesus? Fourth type of question I'd encourage us to ask is this. What's the best way to respond to people who irritate and anger me? Any faces come to your mind? Was I one of them? You don't have to tell me. But think about the answer to that question. How, what's the best way to respond to people who irritate and anger me? Why would I ask questions like that? Or why would I even suggest things like that? When we're trying to discern the will of God, what do we want to know? What job should I do? Who should I, who should I marry? Where should we live? How should I plan for my retirement? That's what we usually want to know. But when you look at what Scripture says, it says, no, 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 don't start with that stuff. That's all good stuff. But it doesn't start there. We try and figure out the sovereign will of God, but you know what we end up ignoring? The moral will of God. The sovereign will of God is sometimes a little fuzzy until you get through your life, and sometimes you realize these things when you're looking back on them. But the moral will of God, not ambiguous, not unclear, not fuzzy. 
It's outlined for us in Scripture very, very clearly. And I believe the Holy Spirit will make the moral will of God clear to your heart, and He'll help you understand it. I think He'll grant you the guidance and the direction and the insight that you need as you live out your faith in Jesus Christ in every context that He places you in. And I believe that when you make it your pattern to abide in Christ by faith and remain in the center of His clearly communicated moral will as an expression of your genuine trust in Him, I think the other aspects of God's will for your life are going to become clearer as well. If you're in the center of the revealed, obvious moral will of God, and not trying to live in rebellion against that, I think the fuzzy things stop being so fuzzy. And I think the Holy Spirit, what He'll do is He'll begin working with your heart to start developing certain sensitivities in your heart and certain desires for service in specific areas. I think He'll gradually point you in the direction that you should go, and I think He'll give you peace about the decisions that you're making even before you see the outcome of those choices being made. And I'm convinced, and I think I could say this just as a declarative statement because I I am that convinced of this, but I'm convinced that one of the biggest reasons that many people struggle to understand God's will for their life is because they spend most of their life ignoring what the Spirit has clearly revealed for their day-to-day life in Scripture because Scripture conflicts with what they prefer to do. And I think that that's why many people really wrestle with, like, I don't understand the will of God. Well, are you talking about the sovereign will of God or the moral will of God? And if the moral will of God says, this is how you treat your neighbor, if the moral will of God says, this is how you speak to your spouse or your children, the moral will of God says, this is how to respond to another person when you're angry with them. The moral will of God says, this is what you're to do to feed your mind and your heart the truth of the Word of God. The moral will of God says all that, but we're like, yeah, 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 I'll get to that some other time in my life. So if we spend our time ignoring the obvious, how are we ever supposed to get to the spot where we start understanding and develop sensitivities to what isn't quite as obvious until you've lived your life a little bit? And I think that's the big reason why many people struggle to understand the will of God. And isn't it ironic that so many of us call Jesus Lord when the reality is that so many of us spend time ignoring His leading more so than we do obeying His leading? We say, yeah, my Lord Jesus Christ. Well, is He Lord? Is He calling the shots in your life, or are you still calling the shots in your life? If you're still trying to be Lord of your life, don't expect to have a clear understanding of the will of God for your life. You might have a clear understanding of your will for your life because you're trying to be Lord. But if you want a clear understanding of His will for your life, trust Him as Lord. And begin with what he's made very, very clear in his word, and then move from there. When you get to the New Testament, when you look at what the Scriptures reveal to us, you have the Holy Spirit revealing God's truth to us. And there's a very important aspect of fulfillment that he gives to us as he reveals the will of God. You have the promises and the beautiful prophecies of the Old Testament finding their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And you have the Holy Spirit during this era of history that you and I live in playing a central role in pointing us to Jesus. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the helper who would bear witness about Him. 
And you have the Holy Spirit inspiring the, the authors of the New Testament to write down the Gospels and to write down the epistles. And what he's trying to do is help us to understand on a deeper level God's plan of redemption through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 15, when you look at verses 26 and 27, he says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning." Because you have been with me from the beginning. So the Spirit bears witness about Jesus. By the way, you have the Spirit of God doing that in the Old Testament as He's prophesying or, or leading the prophets to prophesy under His direction. And you have Him doing this in the New Testament as well as He's using the, the writers of Scripture to point us to the fulfillment of the, of the prophecies through Jesus. And you have Jesus here telling His disciples that they too would bear witness about Him because they had been with Him from the beginning. I'll tell you what, there's a big difference between those who know about Jesus and those who have been spending time with Jesus. Now, I have to tell you, there was a season in my life where if, if I look back at it, I could say, all right, I knew a decent, a decent amount about Jesus, but I wasn't really experiencing life as one who spent a lot of time with Jesus. My family history is very interesting. There was a very dark season of my childhood that I've referenced from time to time from this pulpit when our household and our family, the truth is, like, I don't, I don't know how to describe it other than to say it was just literally just in complete disarray. It was a season of severe conflict. It was a season of court battles. I can't tell you how many times I was in court as a kid. And uh, that's a very, very difficult spot to find yourself in. And as an oldest child, I remember a lot of times like talking to lawyers, talking to judges, people asking my opinion as an eight-year-old on things that really an eight-year-old, I think, has no business to try and make sense of. Uh, I watched our family just be fine, kind of like a leave-it-to-beaver household, and just experience just complete financial decimation, and then we moved constantly, and we're in and out of government housing. All sorts of things. And I look at that and I'm like, wow, that was a drastic and difficult season. And now when I look back at it, one of the things that I can see is the hand of God. I can see His grace all throughout it. And it's so weird to be able to say that when I look back at it, I don't have a desire in my heart to change the experience that I went through because I could see how the Lord used it for things that had eternal consequence and eternal benefit. And I want those benefits. And so I look back at it, and I'm like, well, that was the road that I had to take, apparently, to understand these things. And so I accept it, and I can also see the protective hand of God at work in my life and at work in my sister's lives and, and at work in my parents' lives. And it was a messy path we, we all took, but it was very interesting to see where it all led us. I remember in my childhood home realizing in the midst of the chaos that the Lord had given me an abnormal amount of influence, even at a young age. And if the Lord gives you influence in any context, be a good steward of that influence, because other people will make decisions in their life based on things that they see taking place in your life. I think part of the influence that I was enjoying, you could say, I don't know, I wasn't enjoying too much during that season, but part of that influence came from, I think, just how the Lord designed my personality tend to be slightly opinionated, tend to be vocal about some of the things that I care about. Um, 
that's partly, I think, what was factoring in there. But I think another part was the fact that in the midst of family chaos and a vacuum that was, for, that was just craving order, I kind of stepped into that vacuum in certain ways at a young age. And my younger siblings started looking to me for guidance. And I was trying to provide it in some respects. But during that season, I was also struggling with a lot of anger. Now, would that seem understandable to you? You know, if you're going through a whole lot of disruption, a whole lot of things like that, I was dealing with a lot of anger over, over what was taking place in our day-to-day life. And I spent some years having influence in my household, but also setting a bad example with my temperament. I had a very reactive temper. It took like next to nothing to set me off. And that's not a very loving way to demonstrate the Holy Spirit living within a person. And I remember at one point, the Holy Spirit got my attention, and he began this transformation process in my life from within that had a ripple effect to the other people in my day-to-day life. He got my attention in a very real way around the time I was age 15. It's so funny. I'm looking around over here. I see Steve and Carol. You guys don't even live around here, and you show up at the church uh, like every so often. You're like, what's it, two hours away you live? I didn't know you guys were going to be here, but I'm going to point this out. So I got hired to work at summer camp when I was 15 years old, and my roommate there was Steve, and Carol worked there too, so we were like buddies hanging out. I remember in that context, completely separated from my day-to-day life, in a context where Christian things were being emphasized and I was discipled, and, and what it looked like to follow Jesus was being modeled to me by people that were several years older than me. And the Holy Spirit really got attention, or got my attention during that season of life. And I remember coming back from that summer camping experience, working there for a couple months, and realizing, you know what? I don't want this to be the same as it was before the summer began. I want my life to truly be different. I want to be someone who follows Jesus with sincerity. And one of the things that the the Spirit of God, He did in my heart was he, He placed a desire there to spend more time in prayer, to spend more time reading the Word of God. And so I did that. And as I'm reading the Word of God, one of the things that he kept pointing me to was Matthew 5 and Matthew 6. Kept reading the Sermon on the Mount over and over and over again. And basically, if you read those portions of Scripture, you basically see that Jesus is calling us to live life in a way that's completely different from how this world lives, and this world won't understand it. And I was like, all right, if Jesus said it, I'm just going to do it whatever it's going to be. And here he says, hey, if someone steals from you, don't resist them, give them more. And I remember soon after that, a kid stole my brand new sneakers. I'd just gotten new sneakers. He stole them from my locker at school. And I remember looking at this and then finding out who the kid was and then walking up to him. And he was two years younger and reactive me a few months earlier would have pounded his, just taken his face and pounded it into the ground. I kid you not, like I probably would have done that. I remember after seventh grade, there was a kid in seventh grade that irritated me. I said, after school, I'd like to meet you over on the, the, um, the ball field. We did. I pounced on him. I took his face. I grabbed him from the back of his head, and I started smashing his face on the ground over and over and over. Your pastor did this to another guy over and over and over and over. And then I was like, he's not moving. And then I looked, and he wasn't unconscious, unconscious but when I picked up his face, blood gushing from his face. And I, I looked at that, and I stepped away, and I thought to myself, what have I done? 
And I think what I was doing was taking out my anger and my aggression on somebody else. And I remember walking home and I'm like, yeah, I just won that fight. I don't think that kid's ever going to mess with me uh, ever again. And the truth is he didn't. And the truth is soon after that, he left the school. And I don't know if I had something to do with that, but it wouldn't surprise me if I did. I didn't feel too good about that. That's not the type of person that I wanted to be. But you fast forward a couple years later, and that reactive temper, I saw the Spirit of God changing that within me. And I could tell that He was doing something within my heart. And my sisters who at that point, they're all younger than me, they were used to me kind of stepping in the void of leadership in our family, but being so angry and so reactive with how I was handling things. But then all of a sudden they noticed I was calming down and I was treating them differently. And I was acting with more compassion. And I was actively trying to follow the example that the Lord was setting through just what He's doing in my life. And eventually that started to have a ripple effect on them. And my younger sister started following Christ with sincerity. And so now you had the three of us operating as a team with the Holy Spirit transforming our hearts and bearing out His fruit in our day-to-day life as we interacted with people. The kid that stole my shoes, I walked up to him, and instead of pounding him, I said, you know what, I know you stole them, but if you need them, you can keep them. I let him keep the shoes. Two years younger than me. He didn't stand a chance if I decided to react the old way. But the Holy Spirit changed something within me. And then eventually, that started to have an impact on my parents as well. Now, my mother knew Jesus at a young age, but I would say, and she would probably tell you this if she was living to to tell you this, that she went through a season where her faith really needed to be reawakened. And as she was observing the Spirit of God at work within her three children, that had an impact on her, and it started to have an impact on the culture of our household. My dad at this point wasn't a believer yet. I remember at one point saying to my dad, as I was working with him, my dad and I often operated. I didn't have brothers, so he and I kind of, in a way, operated like brothers. He was my best friend. He was my best man in my wedding, even. And I remember saying to him one day as I was painting his garage, I said, Dad, it troubles me that this is all we have. We don't have anything beyond this. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, here's the thing. Like, I know the Lord, and I know that when my time here on earth is finished, I'll be with him, but then that's it for you and me. I don't get to see you again. And he's like, oh my word. And he stepped out of the garage, weeping, and walked into the house. And two months later, he was at a, uh, a local airport where he would fly Cessna planes as a hobby, and he was gassing up his plane. And the man gassing it up had a lot of time to fill that plane up. And he said to him, he said, you have any kids? He said, yeah, I got some kids. He's like, what do they do? Well, my son's planning to be a pastor. I was in college at the time. My son's planning to be a pastor. My, my uh, daughters are doing a variety of things. And the man said, oh, well, I, I guess you must be a believer. And my dad said, no, but my kids have me convinced that I should be. And so the man turned out to be a retired pastor who was working there as a hobby, and he said, do you want to just spend a little time praying together? Well, after I fill up your plane, we could talk in the hangar here. And and, uh, my dad said, yeah, I I think so. And my dad called me the next day, and he said, hey, I just want to let you know that I'm glad I get the, the privilege to be your father, but now I get the privilege to be your brother as well. And I said, what do you mean? And then he told me what had happened the night before and how he came to Christ. And I mention that 
for a variety of reasons. First of all, to testify to the fact that the Holy Spirit can accomplish a great work within your heart and it can have a ripple effect on everybody that surrounds you, even in the midst of a very dark season that feels chaotic. But also because I'm looking out and I'm seeing some young people. I'm seeing some faces that are young. I'm seeing some teenagers right now. And I have to tell you, these are things that took place during my teenage years. You don't have to wait till you're in your 40s or your 70s or your 90s to be an effective witness for Christ. As Jesus said, when the Helper comes, I'll send whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will, he will bear witness about me, and you will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. It's going to become obvious to people that you spend time with Jesus, and the Spirit of God will speak to you and then speak through you to the people that He places in your life. And don't be surprised if you start to see a ripple effect of his work in your family, among your friends, as he produces change in you that becomes very compelling to other people. Isn't that a wonderful thing to recognize that the Spirit of God works in us that way? Again, while there's differences in emphasis and differences in operation when you look at the Old and New Testaments, it's also important to know that the Holy Spirit... Same guy, same person in the Old and New Testaments, working in harmony with the Father and the Son to accomplish the purposes of God. But again, what a blessing to live in this era of history when the Spirit of God indwells believers and He transforms us from within and He does His work inside of us and He powerfully impacts the lives of those who operate around us. And if you want to see him do that in your life, it begins by trusting in Jesus Christ, the one the Spirit is trying to point your heart toward. And as you trust in Jesus, you'll be reconciled to God. And the Spirit of God, he will, he will move within you, and he will completely and radically transform your life. You'll have a brand new life, a brand new perspective. And his power at work in you will make a huge difference in the lives of those around you. I guarantee that he will do that. If you trust in him and you submit yourself to him, I can guarantee that you will see that transformation and it will have its effect. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and thank you for the fact that as we look at these things, a variety of things that you've allowed us to see in your scriptures today, Lord, we're grateful that we have the privilege to know you and to love you and to walk with you. We're grateful for the fact that you take people who, when we look back over our lives, we can testify to the fact that, that there are some dark and messed up seasons. There are some things that we could look back at and say, yeah, I'm not really proud of that moment, or that wasn't a very healthy moment, or that wasn't a, a, a moment where I... I did a, a very good job of representing you, and Lord, I, I can testify that there are moments like that in my life, and I know that there are others that, that feel that same way about their own life, and yet you take people who were very, very distant from you, or feeling like we were so enmeshed in the things of this world and the mindset of this world the reactive temper that this world wants us to have, or the ignorance to your will. 
And Lord, even when I think back to my own life, I, I look at some of these things and I think, boy, I really rushed headfirst into some of that. Even at a young age, it was like I was trying to be an advanced student in the ways of this world. And Lord, you reached into that messed up situation. You transformed my heart. You transformed the hearts of my sisters and my parents and even our extended family. We see this generationally now as children have been born and they're being raised to know you. Lord, you reached into our family and did an amazing work. And you demonstrated the power of your spirit in and through us. And Lord, we're just so grateful for that. And Father, I pray for each of us gathered here in person right now, that you would do the same for each of us, that if there be anyone gathered here right now who feels distant from you, who feels like you're a God they know things about, but they wouldn't really characterize their day-to-day -day life as spending time with you, Lord, we pray that you would make that change. We pray that through your spirit, you would open their eyes and soften their heart and help them to understand what it means to know you and love you and walk with you. And Lord, for those of us that have known you for a while, we pray that we wouldn't look to the things of this world to try and satisfy voids in our life. We pray that we wouldn't spend our lives just feeling unclear and fuzzy about your will because we've ignored the obvious things that you've already revealed. Lord, we pray that we would put you first. We pray that we would submit to you as our Lord. We pray that we would experience the joy of new life through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. And again, Father, we thank you that the moment we trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, just as your Son promised, your Spirit, your Holy Spirit, takes up residence within us. He indwells us. He guides us. He directs us. He gives us wisdom, and he helps us experience and practice self-control as we interact with other people. Lord, you are so good to us, and we're just so grateful for the fact that, that you are the way that you are, that you looked at lost humanity and you didn't leave us in the mess that we were in. So Lord, thank you for the transformation that you're affecting in our lives right now. Thank you for what you're doing in the lives of, of our children and in our families. And thank you for your presence with us today. We commit ourselves to you we submit ourselves to you, and we pray that, that ultimately you would be Lord of our lives. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.